don't know if they're here or not, but Will and Dana, we are so thankful that you are willing to share your NEPC story with the congregation. We are in a sermon series called Drawing Near, so you can grab Hebrews chapter 10. By the way, if you want to watch that video again, it will be on our website. It will be on all our social media channels. We would love for you to share that video with someone that you know to give them a glimpse into our church. But what a great picture of sharing life. And as you know, we are spending a sustained amount of time in one incredibly rich paragraph of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, where after 10 chapters of talking about why Jesus is better, why Jesus is the king, why no one can compare to Jesus, the author then gives us the practical. Here's how this matters for our lives. Let's hear it again. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body, bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In verse 24, this will be our, the verse that we study this morning, just verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the great privilege and calling in the Christian life to draw near to you and to draw near to each other. We pray now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would guide my words, that your word, the living and active word of God would come alive and that you would say to each one of us the thing that we need to hear from you this morning. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Three things this morning. What is love? What does love do? And where does love happen for Christians? The first thing I want to say is this. When uh, you get a new car these days, I don't know if you've had this experience, and at any time recently, you get a new car, you get in the car, and there are so many buttons and things to push. Does anyone else have that experience? If you've ever driven an older car, there's not as many things to push, okay? And, and when you get in one of these, a, a newer car, uh, you're not, unless you, you've really done your homework, you're not going to know what everything does in advance. You kind of got to drive them and then you find out, wow, this is cool and I can push this one and fall asleep while I'm driving and I can do this over here. And, and there's all kinds of amazing buttons. But really, when you drive a car, you need to know the essentials, right? You need to know how to turn the car on. You know, um, you know the very basic, how to put it into drive, how to put it into reverse, you have to know the essentials. 
The New Testament tells us so much about what it means to live the Christian life. But really, we could reduce it down to three essentials, three virtues that God wants to inhabit his people. Of course, this is after we understand the gospel. After we understand the gospel that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and die for our sins, rise again from the dead, three words define the Christian life. These are the essentials. They are the final words in one of the most famous chapters of the Bible, which is is 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter about love. These words are faith, hope, and love. If those are the only three words you knew, you could live out your Christian life after you've come to know Jesus. Faith, of course, is the way that we meet Jesus. It looks to the past, but it lives in the present as well. Hope lives in the present, but looks to the future. And of course, love covers over them all. Faith, hope, and love. I want you to see this outline that we've put on our screen. By the way, this is one of the treasures of going deep into the Word of God. Our ladies here at the church just started Focus, which is a very intensive Bible study, getting into the nitty-gritty of the Word of God. And one of the joys for me in studying this passage has been to see how the Holy Spirit led the author of the book of Hebrews to arrange this section of Scripture and also the final three chapters of the book. Two weeks ago, we heard from Pastor Jason, we heard about drawing near with full assurance of faith. That's that first virtue in the Christian life. What did Pastor Henry talk to us about last week? Holding on to the confession of our hope. And then what is the very next verse, verse 24? Oh, the author is now talking about love. Friends, this is not a coincidence. The author has arranged the three great virtues of the Christian life in three consecutive uh, verses in a row, 22, 23, and 24. And what's really remarkable is that he actually, or whoever the author is, uh, he or she, carries that out into the final three chapters of the book. Chapter 11, of course, is that great chapter that we call the Hall of Faith. Chapter 12 is all about holding on to hope. And then chapter 13 begins with let us keep on loving each other. So I want you to see this. I want you to see what happens when we go deeper into the word of God. We've talked about faith. We've talked about hope. Now let's talk about love. The author tells us here that we are to spur. Let us spur. Let us encourage one another to love and good deeds. And in order for us to think about what that means, the very first question we need to ask is, what is love? Is there a word that is more talked about in our society today than love? We hear love all the time. We hear it in songs. We hear it in music. And basically, this is so crucial that we understand this. In America today, the default understanding of love is that love is primarily a feeling that you know you have by looking inward into your own heart. Love is, it's primarily a feeling that you know that you have this this thing by looking inward into your own heart. The Lord has recently 
brought a few little ones into our house, younger than uh, our own kids, and so I've had to go back and do some parenting skills that I haven't used in a little while. And of course, I used one of the great dad parenting skills with these little ones recently by saying, let's watch a movie together. So that one always works. And we watched a movie, and it was a movie I haven't seen in a long time. It was Beauty and the Beast. They loved it, Beauty and the Beast. I've got to say, I think that has some of the best music of any Disney movie that's ever come out. And we watched the, we watched the movie, and by the end of the movie, you know, they're singing... Uh, song as old as time, tale as old as rhyme, Beauty and the Beast, and you're kind of, you're, your emotions are up and the music's going and they're dancing together. And there's just that 1% of you that says, you know, maybe a beautiful, young, attractive, smart lady would really fall in love with a six foot five grizzly bear that can talk. You know, maybe, maybe it really could happen. And of course, that's absurd. But what is, what is the movie communicating? It's, love is all about the feeling that you have. It's all about what happens in the heart. That is our modern conception of love. We need to recognize this. That is not how the Bible defines or describes love. Now, love absolutely involves the feelings. I would never want to say that feelings are not involved in love. But the Bible presents love primarily as committed action. Committed action. The Bible defines love primarily as not what we feel on the inside, but what we actually do on the outside. Let me give you a working definition of love. This isn't from the Bible, but I believe it lines up with the Bible. And by the way, we got an incredible definition of hope last week from Henry. Did you write this down? Hope is the ability of your soul to grasp onto future realities and live as though they were yours now. That's a beautiful definition of hope. Here's a working definition of love. Love is a wholehearted commitment to the good of another person expressed in action. It is a wholehearted. Are, are your emotions involved? Of course they're involved, just like every part of you, just like your body, just like your mind, just like your will. It's a wholehearted commitment to the good of another expressed in action. This is how the Bible defines love. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you hear the focus, the emphasis there? It's on what God did. It's on what he did. Now, of course, now God loves us. He did it out of a heart of love for us, but look how that love is expressed. It's expressed through actions. You know, remember when you first met your spouse and you fell in love. I have such great memories of that season of life. That's a wonderful thing. And God designed us. In fact, you can even read about this. He designed chemicals to be released in our brains as we fall in love with another person. But those feelings 
are what holds the relationship together while, while the concrete hardens. Because what really sustains a marriage is that commitment, that wholehearted commitment that you made to that other person sitting next to you here or on the live stream. That's what sustains a marriage. Being in love is great. All those feelings, it's thrilling. It's like being on a roller coaster, but you wouldn't want to live on a roller coaster. Even if you're 15, eventually you're going to say, I've had enough. It's, it's wonderful. It's joyful. But it's meant to get you on the track of a healthy marriage that is sustained over time by commitment and action. Love is doing what God is calling you to do, whether you feel it or not. And there are, of course, there are times when we feel it more than other times. That's what love is. What does love do? Notice what the author says. He says, let us spur one another on toward love and toward good deeds. A, a very quick uh, talk about the Greek here. Let us spur. The word means to cause, to move to action. It means to stir up. It means to encourage. When the word is used in a negative way, it can even mean incite. Let us incite one another toward love. Let us build one another up. One Bible translation says, let us think about how creative we can get in motivating one another toward love and toward good deeds. The word love here, many of you have heard, there's different words the Bible uses for love. It's the word agape. It's that deep, wholehearted love. And then it talks about good works. What does love do? Love works. You know, one of the dangers that I see in the American church, and I think it's been there for a long, long time, but one of the dangers of the American church is that we say to people, you're saved by grace, not by works. And that is true. That's what the Bible teaches. But then that, that doctrine gets carried over and people then think the word works is a bad word for Christians. That we shouldn't talk about works. The problem with that is the Bible does. The Bible says right here in our passage, spur one another on toward good works. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want to share a quote by Dallas Willard, which can help you understand how grace and works go together. Dallas Willard says that grace is not opposed to effort. Okay. We should put forth effort in our Christian life. We need to get sweaty for the Lord. We need to work hard for the Lord. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You see, do you see the difference? Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning says, God, by these good works, I'm going to earn my way into your love. I'm going to become acceptable because of these things that I do. But rather, the author of Hebrews would, would agree with this. He would, he would say, no, we need to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, isn't it interesting that the author doesn't just say this. He doesn't just say, go do love and good deeds. Go do them. That's what God wants you to go do. So go do them. Love people, you know, help the poor, share the gospel. 
But the author is, he's realistic. He's probably a pastor, probably knows these people. Maybe this is even his flock. And instead he says, no, you need to spur. Because he knows the reality of life is that we need others to spur us. We need others to come alongside us. We need others to build us up as we face the daily challenges of life. We need other people to come and just think about the word spur, to give us that push, that loving push, to say God has more for you. God loves you. God is not going to abandon you in this. God is going to stay with you in this. I'm going to walk with you in this as your brother or sister. Let us spur toward love and good deeds. Well, I want to end with this. Where does this happen? Where does love happen? And really, another way we could put the question is this. Where does love start for Christians? Because we know that we are called to walk out of these doors and when we go home today, we know and we go to the grocery store, we go to the restaurant, tomorrow we go back to our jobs, we go back to our schools. We know that God wants us to love other people and he does. But let's go back to this question. Where does love start? For Christians, it starts in the church. It starts in the church. That's where love starts. I recently became aware, I'm sure some of you have heard about this, California just passed a law, no gasoline cars in the state uh, sold by 2035, I believe. And I heard something about what it will take uh, to make that possible. It will take an incredible amount of infrastructure to build charging stations. And when we come to church, brothers and sisters, church is the, is the the charging station that God has designed for your life. It's the fast charging station. There are other ones. When you spend time with the Lord, when you listen to Christian music that speaks to your soul, when you pray together, when you meet with your life group, but God has designed his church to be a spiritual charging station for you, and we need it. I want you to hear a quote from Andy Stanley. He's a pastor, an influential pastor in the Atlanta area. And he speaks words of truth when he says this. You cannot follow Jesus if you are not in the context of a community of other Jesus followers. He says you just can't do it. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Spiritual health happens in the context of transparency with other people. That's the Christian life, folks. That is when, when we give you a glimpse into the life group that the McGuffies are a part of. When, when you get a sense of how they're talking about sharing life together, this is the Christian life. We cannot follow Jesus in isolation. We have to follow Jesus with other Jesus followers if we're really going to follow him. It's not optional. And one of the reasons I think we miss it is because the entire New Testament is basically in the plural. Do you know that? It's always you all, you all, you all, us. Well, pastor, where's the chapter in the Bible that just talks about me and my 
personal time with the Lord. Well, it's not there. Now, there are plenty of places that speak to that. But all of it is written in a context of men and women walking with Jesus together. One other quote from an Anglican about this passage, a guy named Phillips Hughes, he says this, the failure of love shows itself in selfish individualism, in the habit of some of neglecting to meet together. Christian love should be demonstrated in the personal relationships and mutual concerns of the Christian community. I love, by the way, that he talks about here selfish individualism because there are reasons. We've seen this with the pandemic. There, are, there have been good reasons for two and a half years. For some, some of you on the live stream, there have been good reasons to stay away from worship. Some of you, you're battling disease. Some of you are, are battling other things. You care for someone who's immune compromised. But notice what he says. He talks about the selfish individualism in the habit of some neglecting to meet together. Going back to the quote, it will be found that not only does love promote fellowship, I love this, but also that fellowship stimulates love because it is by meeting together as a true community that Christians have the opportunity for encouraging one another by mutual support, comfort, and exhortation. John Christostom as a, one of the most famous preachers in the early church, with the words of Proverbs 27, 17 in mind, observes that as iron sharpens iron, so also fellowship increases love. For if a stone rubbed against a stone sends forth fire, how much more person in contact with person. Don't you love that quote? You know, you can take two, two stones, you can strike them together. If you've done scouts in a few years, you can probably get a fire going. I can't, but some of you can. But, he's, but he says, look, if that's what two rocks can do, made by God, but nothing like two image bearers, imagine what happens when fellow image bearers who have been saved by the grace of God, who have been filled by the Holy Spirit, when they interact it's like electricity. And the potential for what God can do in your life and in the lives of others is honestly limitless. I thought about a snowball. We don't get to make very many of those down here, do we? We don't get to make very many. But some of you, you know what that's like to, to, to get a snowball going. You get the, the ball going and you push it. And if you're doing it right, what's, what, what happens? It's getting bigger, it's getting bigger, it's getting bigger. And in the same way, just like when iron sharpens iron, church, when we get together, when we share life together as a church family, the snowball gets bigger. The spiritual transformation in our lives gets bigger. The kingdom impact that we can make in this world gets bigger. God is calling us to share life together. Here's two ways that you can do that as a Christian. Because remember, love starts in the church. And if we wonder how we're going to love people outside of the church without going to the charging station that is the church, then we're, then we're really not seeing it. Because we've got to get filled up here, filled up by the Holy Spirit, filled up by the Word of God if we're going to love people out there.
It's first, commit yourself to coming to worship. And second, find a place in this church where you can truly share life with a trusted group of fellow Christians. That's it right there. Commit yourself to worship, to the gathering of God's people. And then find a place in this church where you can truly share life with a trusted group of fellow Christians. Like all of you, I was just absolutely shocked, even though I shouldn't have been, by the death of Queen Elizabeth. 96 years old, and I say I shouldn't have been because she's 96. But what a lady, what a life. Seven decades on the throne, incredible. I wonder if some of you saw this quote that one of the chaplains of Her Majesty was preaching on the second coming. And the queen exclaimed, oh, how I wish the Lord would come in my lifetime. Why, asked the chaplain, does your majesty feel this very earnest desire? The queen replied with quivering lips and her whole countenance lighted up by deep emotion. So I should lay my crown at his feet. What a quote. And she's got a crown better than any of us. I'll tell you that. From all we know, she was a committed, devoted follower of Jesus. You know, we might have different opinions about the monarchy in the UK. We certainly had some different opinions over some tea back in Boston a few decades ago, but that worked out well for us, so we can let it go. But you may have different opinions about the monarchy, but I will say this, as I was reflecting, you know, one of the things I appreciate about the monarchy is tradition. I think we Americans can be very quick to to look down on tradition, maybe get ready to just wipe tradition out, say tradition is not important. But the monarchy has been that glue that's held together the British Commonwealth for, I believe it's been 1,200 years. And I just want to end with this. For 2,000 years, and far longer if you go back into the Old Testament, God's people have said, we come together once a week to worship him. We come together as a church to share life together. We come together to spur, to provoke, to incite one another on toward love and good deeds. Because that is how you live out the Christian life. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. And so we need it, church. We need it. We need to share life together. We need to grasp hold of all that God has for us. And it's always more because there's always more of him that we can experience. In just a few minutes, the service is going to end. We're going to ask you to do something unique. We're going to ask you to go out the main set of doors in our narthex. Now, there's literally four sets of double doors, okay? There's eight doors total we're going to open up. But we're basically going to have the USC linemen blocking you coming out this side, okay? Because we want you to go out these main doors, and we're going to have a ministry fair set up. And we're just going to have tables set up talking about the different ministries of this church. And we would love for some of you, and those of you on the live stream, there'll be opportunities for you to say, okay, I want to find out more. Who do I reach out to? But this will be an opportunity for you to say, where's the place that I can be honest? 
Where's the place that I can share my story? Where's the place that I can spur one another on and be spurred myself toward love and good deeds? Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We remember the sweetness of the gospel that only because of your grace do we know you. And now, Lord, we long to live it out in obedience, in faithfulness, and in accountability with others. Help us to do it. Help us to rely on your spirit. Help us to make much of Jesus and less of ourselves. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.